So this morning, we are talking about how Jesus healed many. And so I was thinking about the contrast between medicine in the day of Jesus' time versus the medical field now. And so first of all, I think if there's one human doctor we need, I, I figured out who that is. See if that can pop up on the screen any minutes now. <laughs> it might get better, or maybe not. Um, but I, there is there's a doctor who I measure all, all human doctors by, and that is um, Doctor McCoy. I'm convinced <laughs> that if he was here, we would have already gotten through COVID. But. Um, Anyway, that's just a little side. So, um, I, I sent out a survey. I know there's a, a good number of medical people in this church, and I also have my previous church as well. And, and so, I sent out a survey to, to get an idea of what do they see as happening in medicine today. And I asked a few questions, and it was great. We had um, almost, almost 35 surveys filled out. Um, I think that's because one one of our, our members passed out the, the survey to everyone in our office, and so we got a, a bunch there. And so just want to share the results with you. Um, so we had people fill out from who were two years of medicine to 50 years. Um, for some reason, the most common was 36 years. So 1984 must have been a good year to become a doctor or nurse, for whatever reason. Um, we had seven who had 40 years or more in medicine. And I think that's amazing. Can you imagine doing that, that work for that long? Um, but we also had some newbies, who, five of them who were five years or less. Um, over half were nurses, um, but there were also some, some physicians and, and a therapist. Um, most, one of the questions I asked is, are you a specialist? Do you work with maybe one type of illness or a generalist? Most, but not all, said they were a specialist. They specialize in one area. So here's the, the big question. You know, considering how they've seen medical care change. So what's the biggest or most significant improvement you've seen since you started in medicine? And I got a whole variety of answers. Um, but there were three categories I put them in. Um, one is machines. And so a lot of the answers had to do with medical scope technology. In other words, laparoscopic surgery or arthroscopic surgery or those other non-robotic surgery where they can now send, you know, things without actually doing open-up surgery, like that's pretty amazing. Um, others cited the diagnostic type technology, like MRI, CAT scans, or even ultrasounds, that, that what they can do without, that makes you think of Dr. McCoy waving his tricorder medical thing and just being able to do everything with that. Um, here's an interesting one that caught my attention. The oximeter, it was named anesthesiologist, but it says it measures oxygen while you're under anesthesia. And they said that that state has saved more lives in medicine than anything else, because, you know, it would be anesthesia is a dangerous thing to take, so the oximeter. Others said the biggest improvement was in medicines. New medicines that have fewer side effects. Um, new cardiac medicines, medications that have saved a lot of lives. Or just new medicines or treatments for specific diseases that uh, they couldn't treat before. 
Uh, but what was interesting is a lot kind of went a little more general. And they said the biggest change, the best change they've seen, is how medicine is practiced. And so the one thing that came up more than a few times was the computer technology that prevents errors and aids in communication between doctors and nurses. You know how, that, how you go to the office now and you spend all that time and they're always filling stuff out and it seems like a waste of time, maybe. But according to those in medicine, they said that's actually saved more lives because of the communication. Um, another few people said evidence-based practices in medicine rather than just going by what they've always done is the, the, how medicine's like that. And then lastly, the one that came up a few times is greater access and, and focus on preventative medicine. The little things that, that enable, that's actually had more improvements than some of the big things. So I thought those answers were pretty interesting. And those come from people in this area that, that you all know. The other question I asked is, have you seen a connection between people's physical health and their mental well-being? And, and all of them responded yes, and some, some very emphatically. There's a definite connection between our physical health and mental well-being. Like you could, they could see that it's not just your body that matters; it's also the other part. So some noted that when people are physically ill, it affects their mental state of being. Right? They they feel lousy. They, you know, that makes sense. Uh, that sometimes that, that can lead to depression. Uh, but there's also others who noted the other direction that being depressed, or just facing stress and anxiety, that in itself can lead to physical symptoms, physical problems, physical health deteriorating. Anxiety and stress can lead to a lot of medical problems. Those who are struggling with depression uh, may ignore their physical health, may not do that preventative medicine. Um, one noted that they see more and more young people who are on antidepressant or anti-anxiety medicines than in times past. Um, one positive thing someone mentioned is that, that it's now more easy to be open up about abuse, and and so you know sometimes it's an underlying cause that didn't get noted in times past, but now people are open up about that. Um, one person mentioned that the nursing evaluation now often includes a spiritual assessment for the patient. So, so those in the medical field realize how a person's doing in their spiritual life or their, their mental life affects their physical health, so they're taking that into account. And it also says it's more common that ministers now are included in, that, in their medical care. Um, someone said that boosting the coping mechanisms for troubles, for emotional troubles, can actually help physical health outcomes. Teaching people how to deal with their, their problems can actually make them more healthy. Um, someone said humor helps. I believe that, right? So getting, getting someone to, to laugh. Um, and then just the last comment, this is one job of a nurse is to just listen. And I can relate to that as a pastor. I, I can't do any medical care. But what I find is I can't listen. And in that sense, all of us Help, be helpful in that sense. Um, so thank you for all those who filled that out or help, got others to fill that out. Um, there's three things I want to um, talk about how I see medicine 
developed over in the time, especially comparing it to Jesus' time. One is how big medicine has become. Um, the number of people involved in healthcare of some sort is huge. In my last church in Zanesville, Ohio, the biggest employer of Fall County was the hospital. And, and that didn't include all the doctor's offices and all the independent things. Um, in the U.S., 17.7% of our economy is healthcare. That's compared to 1% of our economy is growing food. 17 plus percent is healthcare of some sort. No wonder we spend so much on health insurance, because we use a lot of it. Uh, it. That sort of makes sense. I imagine in Jesus' time, it was not so. You know, Far more people were just growing food to stay alive. Another thing that's obvious that's changed from Jesus' time to now is how advanced our healthcare is. There are things they can do that are just awesome. Um, and you think about, like, if you had to pick a time in history to live, I mean, it would be interesting to live in certain areas of history, but based on the medical care, there's no way I'm going to live any other time than now. Um, we're not quite to Dr. McCoy yet, but we're getting, I'm just waiting, wave a tricorder, and it all, it all is going to, I'm sort of, I know at some point I might have to have knee replacement surgery. I'm, every year they get better. I'm waiting for that time when they, they get a bionic knee, and I can leap over buildings with it. That's what I'm waiting for. Um, so how advances. And the third thing, how specialized. Right? There's more types of doctors than there's ever been. And even within the types, then they get subtypes. Like, you know, um, someone who just does kidney stuff, but they'll do one specific aspect of kidney stuff. And, and so there's more and more specialization. And there are fewer doctors who treat general general illnesses in general. So, there you go. Um, compared to the time of Jesus, there's so, so many illnesses we can treat easily now. It's no surprise that when Jesus started healing people that, that didn't have access to medical care, that so many went to him for help. And, and so we're going to look at today a series of healings that Jesus did, um, starting at 129, and that we read today. Um, thank you, Jeff. And then all the way, actually further than we read in Mark 2, 12. So there's four different accounts of healings. And so I'm going to look at each of those and then see what we can learn about that, what would have occurred to us. The first one is, is fairly simple. Um, after the synagogue service that we had talked about in the previous sermon, Jesus goes to the house of Simon and Andrew, and there um, Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a fever and unable to get out of bed, unable to, to host Jesus. And so Jesus goes up to her, and it's simple. He takes her hand and, and invites her up and heals her right there and then in the middle of the, middle of the day. Um, and so then she's able to, to play the hostess, to welcome them into her house. Now, there's an interesting aside on this. Is um, Simon was married. Like, one of Jesus' disciples, 12, was married. So, um, I have a theory. Later in the Bible, we know Peter does have a wife. It mentions that in another place. But it never mentions it early in the Gospels, other than here. And 
And I wonder if Peter had been married. Simon becomes Peter, the same person. If he'd been married while those three years that he was following around Jesus, he would be home an awful lot. Like he'd be leaving his wife and walking around. So I wonder if he wasn't married yet. Like this is the house of what would be his mother-in-law. By the time Mark wrote it, he had been married, and so it is that house. But that 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 the actual marriage, then becoming husband and wife, comes after the time of Jesus' ministry. Now that's just a theory. We don't know for sure. But I just wonder with all the time Simon would have spent away from home, if at this point maybe they're only betrothed, which is pretty common in that day as well. And so they're betrothed, they're not yet living together in that sense. So that's a theory. Um, take it forty more. So that's one. Simple healing of a fever. The second one that happens right after that, um, and this is where Jesus heals many. Uh, it says, uh, after sundown, everyone who was sick, or also those who had spiritual illness, they're oppressed by demons, they all come to Jesus at that point. And the whole town, it says, gathers at, at this, this place. And maybe Jesus went outside and was interacting with people. Now, first of all, why after Sunday? They waited until the Sabbath was over, right? And so they did, you know, on the Sabbath, you're resting. So they came after Sabbath was over. Um, and then they come to Jesus. And he just spends the whole evening healing people and responding to that. And what I note out of this is Jesus wasn't a specialist. He handled a various diseases. Nothing... You know, was he, he wasn't just a one-trick pony, in other words. Right? wasn't just that, well, he had this thing, he could convince people that they're for you. He was really healing real things in people's lives, and, and he could handle everything. And to show that, we next go to the third healing in this, and that is the name of leprosy. Leprosy was one of the most feared diseases in ancient times. Because it killed you, Slowly. There was no more cure. And when you had it, it became very visible to all that you had. It would affect your skin, and you would show it on your face and on your hands. And because people could see it, no one wanted to be around you if you had it. Leprosy would isolate you, socially, be socially isolated. Everyone. They would not allow you to live in town. Um, in fact, they would cast you out of town and lepers would roam in the wilderness because they had nowhere else to go. Sometimes they'd gather in leper colonies so they'd find comfort in one another. But you would be out, outside and, and so I, I think now, can you not appreciate during COVID how painful and damaging social isolation can be beyond the physical healing? This kind of struggle, right? How lonely he might have been. We don't know how long he had faced this disease, but it could have been years since he had a real human interaction. And so he comes to Jesus, probably while Jesus is traveling from town to town, out in the wilderness areas, and he gets close enough to Jesus and says, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. 
when it spoke of healing for leprosy, it spoke in terms of cleanliness because it was seen as a visible mark. So if you, if you were made clean, that you were clean in your skin. It also meant you were no longer infectious, infectious to others. To be clean that you're now able to be in the company of others. And so there then, Jesus healed the man. But what's significant is not just that he healed him, but how he did it. Jesus walked up to the man and touched him. I imagine him putting his hands on his shoulders. His disciples would have gasped. You don't touch lepers. But Jesus did. He knew that the loneliness that this man felt was as painful as anything else. And he knew that this man needed to know the love of God, the love of another person. And so not only did he heal him, he touched him, put his hand on his shoulder. This particular healing caused problems for Jesus. Because if Jesus could heal leprosy, he could heal anything. And, and people were so amazed the crowds then would not leave them alone after this point. Now, he told the man, hey, hey, don't tell people about this. Just go to the priest who can verify that you're healed and clean and able to be in society again. But don't go spread the news. <laughs> Could you keep quiet about this? I mean, really. Like, this is the most significant thing that ever happened to you. Would you be able to go and not tell people? And he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So he started spreading the news everywhere. And, and so before you know, Jesus cannot go into a town without huge crowds gathering. And that leads us to the fourth sermon, or fourth healing in this um, series. And this is the neighbor's parallels. This is the most exciting of all the miracles, I think. Jesus is in a packed house. There's people sitting in windowsills. Every bit of room is taken. Because so many people want to get close to Jesus, whether to, to be healed or to see him heal someone, or to hear what he has to say, it, it, it's awesome. And, and you can imagine the energy in that place. But then four friends come up, carrying the mat, on a mat, uh, a man's been paralyzed. Likely this is through an injury. Because usually if it was from birth, they would tell us. So it's most likely he's been injured. And these four friends that, that are convinced, if they can just get their friend before Jesus, he will be healed. And so they carefully, they may have come even from a different town. Who knows how far they were, they were carrying him. They get there, though, and the place is so crowded, there's no way even one of them can get in, let alone all four of them carrying him out. And they're like, what do we do? Well, because the way houses were set up, they were set up, like, built together, um, you could actually get up on the roof. And so that's what they do. They they begin to hoist the guy, the paralyzed man, up onto the roof. They're not going to let this stop him. Now, I wonder if the guy said, guys, I'm not so sure about this. You know, let's just wait until this is all over. I, I don't know. But they, no, but we're doing this. And so they hoist him up onto the roof. You know, one's probably on a ladder. And, and they, they get him up there. And then when they get up there, they start to dig through the, the mud and thatch roof that they had in those times. And they're opening up and if you just kind of wonder what it was like, it's up. You know, they're going to hear a bunch of thumping and stuff. And, and then, you know, as the, the roof starts to fall, people are probably things falling on people's heads. I assume at some point, Jesus gave up on just trying to teach. And they're all just watching the roof. 
to see what's going to happen. And, and you know, the hole, you start, the hole starts to develop, and then you get guy in the face looking down, you know? And, and there's no look more this way. And then the roof opens up more, and then you see this, this paralyzed man being lowered through the roof on a mast. And, you know, they got ropes, and they got all, all going, it's God, I don't know about this. Is this a good idea to wait? You know? And then you know how those things work. Like, you're going to be swimming, right? And he's just sort of, and, and then he's, as he gets down, you can see people, and he's waving, and, you know? <laughs> And then finally, by the time he gets right on the floor, and and everyone, at first everyone's looking at the man. He's like, sorry, you know. And then, uh, but then they all look at Jesus. Okay, big guy, what are you gonna do? This is this is this is more serious, right? But what are you gonna do with this? And Jesus looks at the man. He looks up and sees four faces, you know, through the hole in the roof. Looks at the crowd. And says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Someone up on the roof says, Hey, Jesus, it's his legs. <laughs> yeah, right? What's going on? And then there's, there's religious scholars, the scribes. They were the religious leaders. And, and they know their theology. So wait a second. Who, who is he to say he has authority to forgive sins? The, they have a word called blasphemy. It means to to speak for God without the right appropriate authority. And Jesus was speaking for God. And they went, that's blasphemy. They don't say it, but they're thinking it. And Jesus smiles. He says, what are you thinking about? He knew. And so he asked a question. Think about this question. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Which is easier to say? Now, if you say, which is easier to do? To forgive sins is a big deal. Even more than the physical healing. But if it's just to say, right? Because anyone can say your sins are forgiven. Because no one can see whether it's true or not. So that's why he asks it in that way. And as they're thinking about it, he says, alright, that you may know that I, the Son of Man, the one sent by God, has authority to forgive this man's sins. I tell you, get up and walk. And right there and then, the man stood up and walked. Jesus showed that he had the authority to forgive sins by healing. And the crowds, they were amazed. We had never seen anything like this. So those are the four healings in a row that you have in God's heart. And I think they show three things. As Mark tells the story, you can imagine you were just reading the story for the first time. There's three things that, that stand out, right? One is, Jesus has the power to heal. It wasn't just one thing, he could heal a variety of things. Um, and I think that tells us, as, as followers of Christ, we can pray for healing. If you are sick, if you are struggling with physical illness, we are invited to bring that to our Father and ask for healing. And I would encourage you, if, if you are struggling with something, if you have a physical ailment, you can ask for, I mean, sometimes it's hard to pray for yourself. Maybe there's someone here you know 
that you could ask to pray for you before you leave this, this room today. Any Christian is authorized to pray. You don't have to be a pastor. Now, I'll tell you, if, if you want me to pray for you, I'd be willing to do that. So after the service is over, well, the, I'll, I'll be in the corner. And so if you want me to pray for you before an illness, I'd be happy to do that today. But you don't have to come to me. If you know someone who loves the Lord, have them pray for you before you leave this place today. The second thing this, this shows as we see is that Jesus has compassion on the hurting. I'm still astounded by the, the, the man of leprosy and how Jesus saw the deepest need within him and, and had compassion on him. Jesus knows what you're The Lord knows and he cares. Know this, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're struggling with, you have a God who cares, the Son of God, who's willing and ready to respond to you. Call out to him. Seek him. And it's the third thing that we see in this. Jesus is at work to do more than a physical healing. Each of the healings is about doing more than just healing a body. And that is the point I want to amplify for the rest of the sermon. I want to focus on that today. How do those healings show that he was about more than our physical bodies? So each of the miracles points to something more. Um, when he healed the mother-in-law, it gave her the ability to welcome and respond to Jesus, to respond to Christ. Um, so the physical healing enabled her to, to respond to the Savior. The, the healing of the many. After he had done that healing, the next day it says the crowds come again looking for more healings. And Jesus says to his disciples, no, that's, we're not going to just go back and do more healings. We have to go to the next town and begin to share the message of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, because that is why I came. He didn't just come to, to, to physically heal bodies. He came to bring the good news of God's kingdom on earth. The healing of the leper is so clear. Jesus could have waved his hand, but instead he touched the man. He dealt with his inner loneliness and lack of love. We see that. More than just our bodies. And then the, the fourth healing, the paralytic. Again, the, the whole point of it is when Jesus saw the man, everyone saw a man who, whose greatest need was his legs. Jesus saw that his greatest need, need was the inner distance he had from God because of his sins. So he says, your sins are forgiven. When we moved to Ohio, or to Ohio, from Ohio, we brought our old van. Um, we have the new van, which Cheryl drives. We have my car, and then we have this old van, um, which Katie was insisting we bring because she's, she thinks she'll be able to drive it. <laughs> well, um, that's to say it barely made it. And it didn't really make it, actually. Uh, and I, we knew it was, was going to be touch or go. This, this van had problems. Uh, it overheated. But anyways, this van has lots of problems. And, and one of them is uh, uh, the door doesn't work. It's all messed up. So suppose I go to the mechanic, and I, I take this old van and say, hey, can you fix this door? And 
the mechanic starts up, takes a look at it, and he, he can hear by the way the van is running that, oh, there, there's, there's a problem in the, the engine itself that needs to be fixed. And, you know, whatever it would be. And he, he says to me, well, I'd be happy to fix the door, but we really got to deal with this problem in the engine or this van. And I say, you know what? I am... Um, you know, I don't really want to deal with that. Let's just fix the door and I'll, I'll drive it home. He says, no, 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 really. You have to deal with the problem deeper in this engine or it won't run at all. I think sometimes with church we could do that. How much time do we spend praying for physical health issues? We often make that the focus. And it's not wrong. But, but there's a deeper need, Right? We need something deeper fixed in our lives. And Jesus came, and he came to deal with that, heal us of that inner problem first. So after those four healings, Jesus, in, in the end of Mark 2, Mark 2, verse 17, this is what he says. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do, do need one. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, he's making a metaphor there. He's, he's using sickness as a metaphor for human sinfulness. And the purpose he came was to deal with that first and foremost, to deal with the human sinfulness. So let's, let's think this out. Let's make a comparison between the disease of human sinfulness and that of a worldwide pandemic. So what if, what if we think of human sinfulness as an infection that has spread throughout the world? Um, you got to think, well, it started with just two people, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, um, they, you know, say, well, what did Adam and Eve, they just ate a piece of fruit. No, that's not it. They made a choice. And the choice they made was instead of listening to God, they decided they would determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And that introduced the virus of human sinfulness into this world. Instead of, of listening to the God who gave them life, they would say to God, I know better than you and I will go my own way. I will decide what is good and what is evil for myself rather than by what you say. So that's the virus. And that virus is 100% infectious. Every person since then who's ever lived has, has come away with that same inner tendency, do we not? Do we not all say to God, I know how to live my life my own way. I'm going to make choices for myself rather than listen to you. It says in Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us, has turned to his own way. And because of that, there are symptoms that play in our life. But those symptoms will look different from person to person. For some, human sinfulness will lead them into theft and addiction, violence and adultery and maybe even murder, things that can be clearly seen. Oh, oh, those are bad people. But sometimes we hide our symptoms instead. Or they're more subtle. But they're still there. They're selfishness, Greed, envy, deceit, gossip, insecurity that leads us to constantly defend ourselves. 
those are signs, symptoms of the same thing. And, and Jesus talked about how, well, first of all, with COVID, right? You can have the disease and not necessarily recognize it, not see it. Jesus said the same thing about our sin, right? You can see it in others. You know, you who can see the speck of sin in your brother's eye, but can't even see the, the log that's coming out of your own eye. That we could see it in others, but we can't always see that, that sinful nature in ourselves. The effect of it, the virus of human simple, sinfulness, leads to social isolation. It leads to divisions within our human society, but it also leads to isolation from God, spiritual isolation. Because when we're infected like this, we can't be in God's presence. There was a prophet, Isaiah, who was in a vision brought up into heaven. And as soon as he was in God's presence, he says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Think about what he's recognizing. He's saying, I should not be in the presence of God. I am infected, and I should be isolated. Now, God made provision for Isaiah so he could be there, and he, he dealt with that. But that's what this disease of human sinfulness does, so that we're quarantined from God, quarantined from spiritual life. And if that is left unresolved, it leads ultimately not just to physical death, but eternal death, a death that separates us from God for eternity. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. And we're all infected with that disease. The morbidity rate for the infection of human sin is 100%. The Bible is the story of God interacting with people infected with this disease. Have you ever read through the Bible and said, man, there's a lot of bad things that happen. A lot of violence and wars and that's because everyone's infected. And God's still dealing with us. God does not ignore us. But he comes in to human society. And he's ultimately leading towards a cure. And to bring the cure, the Son of God had to break quarantine. He had to come into this world that's been infected. And he had to interact with people who were... were um, dealing with this, with, with human sin and, and all the bad stuff. And yet he, he became friends with people who are fully infected with this disease. But in order to bring the cure, Jesus had to let the disease touch him. Just as he touched the leper, he had to let that human sinfulness touch him. Even though he had never sinned. On the cross, Jesus became sin. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In, in one way of thinking of it, it's like he took the disease upon himself because he could develop the antibodies that we needed as a cure. And then having gone through death and being raised again, now he has antibodies. He has the cure in his blood that can save us. It says in Isaiah that by, um, by his stripes we are healed. Because of his going through death on our behalf, his blood is now capable of bringing that healing that we need for this disease. 
And so when we respond to Jesus and put our faith in him and the cure he came to bring, it says that we, we can know that we are set free. Second Corinthians says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus is able to bring that cure into our lives, to bring that cure into our hearts. That's what we celebrate when we share communion together. That's what we're thinking about, remembering, focusing on. It's that his cure comes into us as we receive it. It takes away the, the brokenness of sin and begins to do a healing work in our bodies. Not the literal stuff that we use, the wafer and sip of juice, but we believe that that's, that's our way of, of receiving the true cure into our lives. And so we're ending our worship today with, with the sharing together of the Lord's Supper the remembrance of the salvation that has come by our faith in Jesus Christ. There's three things I want you to do as we go into this, this time. One is, I want you to reflect on how the infection of human sinfulness has affected you. We're going to start with a time of confession. And I want you to just lay before God how you have seen human sinfulness, sin, come out in your life and where you need forgiveness. And then I want you to, to think about receiving the cure by turning your heart to Christ. You can here and now give what you know of yourself to what you know of Him. And decide today to be a disciple of Jesus. That cure is there and ready for any who would receive it. And then lastly, I, I want us to rejoice together in the good news that Jesus has overcome death and in him we have eternal life that nothing in this world can take away. So that's what we're going to do as we, we head now to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to, to prepare our hearts. And as I said, we're going to begin with the time of confession. So in, in your heart of hearts, talk to God. Let us pray.